today we're moving beyond a victim and violator. We're starting a new series. It's called Good Grief because grief that is done the right way takes you to a better place. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a letting go process that's different from what we've talked about in the last two series. The first one, we talked more about victim. We talked about forgiveness, letting go in the, in, inside of that kind of a world. The second series that we talked about, we talked about the king's seat and how people who don't appear to have pain really do have pain, which makes the critical comments really sharp, really hurtful, and so they go into the violator zone. And you have those two and you say, well, okay, I can see that the victim needs to let go. I can see that the violator needs to let go. But what do you do when there's just pain? This letting go idea, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the different angles. And, and I think it's really valuable for everybody because life is a lot about letting go. Uh, when to let go and when to hold on. And that seems obvious at times, but other times it's kind of a, you got to look, look deeper, going deeper. You know, <laughs> going deeper. I've, I've heard of a book for that title. Uh, but the, va- the value of letting go uh, has grown in my estimation because of this conversation we're having. Well, simple question. Do you want to live today? Do you want to live right here? Do you want to live right now? Or do you want to continue to live in the past where you're a prisoner to the past? I believe God expects us to have a new day every day. His mercies are new every morning. In Christ, I get a fresh start. In Christ, I can wake up and I can take off and I can go. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, the past is done. The penalties are paid. I can receive the grace and mercy of God. And it can be a new day today. Or I can live as a prisoner of the past. Uh, you, You have some slogans that you use. And this reminds me of one of mine. Be present now. And, and life is a present from God, and life is presence today. And so enjoy the present. Make the most of it. I, I like that. Present and present. Mm-hmm. Be present you because know, life is a present. Exactly. You know, I, I, I have my own slogans, and, and that's one of my favorites because I think uh, in, in my life and, and looking at others, the choice is either past or future, and, and the emphasis isn't today, isn't the present. It's, I'm going to be mad, or I'm going to, to long for what I had before, or hate what I had before, and be, and, or I'm all in anticipation of what's going to happen in the future. And the present is just to be endured. Let's go to the present for a person who's in pain. 
So here I am. I'm in pain. I need to get out of pain. I'm getting out of Dodge. <laughs> I, need, I need to get out of Dodge. I, I need to get this thing turned around. How do I do that? And back to the verse that I quoted already, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a mourning process that needs to happen. We've already talked about that to a great extent in the first Let It Go series, so we're not going to revisit all of that. But in this series, we really want to hone in on I'm in pain. There's nobody that did it to me. Uh, probably the hardest one that I've faced lately is people who, with severe headaches, because I had severe headaches for a lot of years in my life. I can really relate to that one, and I can relate to just needing to be dark, needing to lay down. Okay, the pain's still not gone, and so the physical pain. And I don't have a good solution for that other than the physical pain stopping. But over on the spiritual side, blessed are those who mourn. God's given us a solution through the let it go process where we can move out of that deep pain place into a place where life actually becomes good again. So God is, is the beginning and the end, but he's here in the present. Uh, he has uh, control of the beginning and of the end, uh, but he allows us to choose. And in allowing uh, us to choose, uh, we choose badly. And, and so what we're dealing with in the present is how we've dealt with, with issues in our life. Absolutely. And, and we're caught up in that moment. We're caught up in that moment. It becomes everything. Now, if you go back to the last two series, we talked about the two big things that shut down a person's ability to get better is faith in self or lack of faith in God. This one, we're going to focus mostly on lack of faith in God because pain at some point, I need a framework. I need, a, I need something to help me through this situation. And if I've got things going on that are highly painful and there's no excuse, there's no, no victim, there's no violator, there's nobody I can look to, Ultimately, what we tend to do is take it back to God, and then we're just angry at God or angry at life or angry that I'm, I'm the miserable person in the middle of this situation. We need something to move us out of that place. And I would call that movement blame. <laughs> if I, if uh, I, I can't blame someone else for it, and I don't want to blame myself for it, then God's the, the, the most likely character that I can, I can throw the stuff at. And, and why are you doing this to me? And that, that, yeah, that <laughs> wanting not to uh, point the finger at me uh, leads me to not have faith in God. Faith in God, I believe, starts with a right understanding of scriptures, a right understanding of God, a right understanding of sin, and let's just start with that. God created the earth. God created human beings with potential. And that word to me is incredibly powerful. He set us up here 
in the Garden of Eden, it was good. In fact, it was very good. And you see life, and there's no death there, and you have all of these positive things. When sin happened, literally the entire earth was subject to futility. Romans 8 brings that picture in, where it talks about how it wasn't just man that paid for sin, literally the entire earth groans and travails, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, waiting for that future time when everything comes back into its proper place. If you have that kind of worldview, then it gets much easier to begin to interact with God and to understand that, oh, this wasn't the will of God. That's so incredibly important when I'm dealing with an individual, and maybe, maybe an individual had someone who was loved, that loved one got murdered or, or something really grotesque, and I can look at them and say, that was not the will of God. This was not a sovereign God executing his will, so now you have to look at God and say, God, why did you do that? No, that was not the will of God. And to me, that's one of the most powerful things. It wasn't the will of God for you and I to sin. And when you and I sin, it creates consequences general. There are general consequences out there in the earth, everywhere, all the time, that are the consequence of sin. And we don't really need to step back and blame God. We need to understand what God, what purpose are you working out in this thing? If that was the intent God had in creating us, uh, you said that that uh, that was his desire. That was the 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 intent of creation. The question that I've heard most everybody ask is, why did he let it happen? Simple answer: love. That that's that, that's, that's a simple answer, but it's a great answer. That's the best it answer is, that I can give. Yeah. Because if God created robots, does love exist? And the answer to me is no. If you and I have no choice, if we are absolutely programmed to worship God and we don't have free will, we don't have choice in the matter, then there is no such thing as love. There really is no such thing as true worship. So God programmed into us in his image the capacity to love. But that goes back to the word that I used, which was potential, which also means we have the capacity not to love. So therefore, we now have free will. We have the ability to sin. We have the ability to introduce pain and corruption into the earth. And once pain and corruption is entered into the earth, it's not necessarily that you made a bad choice or I made a bad choice. That's where we are in this lesson. We're in a place where sin is happening, the consequences to sin are happening, and different things are landing on different people, and blame, back to the word that you brought up, blame really doesn't have much of a place anymore. It's interesting because that seems like an obvious point, uh, that God is a God of love. But love goes both ways. It's a two-way street. It's not a one-way. It's a two-way street, and, and when it isn't reciprocated, if you don't have a choice in it, 
then it's not really love. Now, once we move beyond blame, then we have to move into a place that I'm going to call purpose. What was God's purpose in creation? What's God's purpose in pain, if you will? What's God's purpose in life? How does this all begin to work out? And I go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he talks about God comforts you in your pain, then he expects you or gives you the opportunity or the freedom to turn around and from the comfort you've received from God to be able to comfort other people. Now you're beginning to understand purpose, and let's go back to the word love. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Well, what? He sent Jesus to be a sacrifice for us, to buy us back, to demonstrate his love so that that comfort can be poured out, so that that love can be poured out. He calls us to be a part of this entire picture. Well, pain actually ends up being involved in that because which person has greater love? The one who loves you when everything's perfect and everything's right (laughs) and everything's going wonderful? I've never met him. (laughs) Well, you've never met that thing. Or the one who loves you when you're not loving back and things are kind of grotesque and sick and unlovable, when a person's able to love at that point, now there is a love being demonstrated that's above and beyond. And that kind of love has the power to redeem, which is another word that's incredibly important. God's purpose, once man sinned, God's purpose was not just to wipe us out, judge us, and start over. He could have done that, but it was to redeem. It was literally to pour into our lives to where he took this broken being who did not love him, who did not walk the way he wanted him to walk, the way he created him, designed him, gave him the potential to walk, but to take that thing and restore it back, to redeem it back to its original purpose. I don't know when it was, but somewhere early... Uh, hearing the story of the garden and of original sin, uh, I always wondered, he clothed them. He covered them up, they, and, and they recognized their nakedness. So that was, that was a completely new revelation to them. And, and to me, it was, but it was like, clothe them? Why? It's covering. He, he, he covered their bad choice. And in covering their bad choice, he covered all of our bad choices if we bring them and give them to him, over to him. Pain, then, is an outcome. It's a life outcome that comes out of sin. And when I start believing that and I I get to that basic worldview, I'm going to look at God differently. I'm going to look at life differently. And then hopefully I move into a Romans 8.28 mentality where it's like God and I are partnering together for good to bring redemption, to bring transformation. If I believe in that kind of worldview, I move from a place where pain equals torment to a place to where, wow, I get to partner with God to bring about good things on the earth. Uh, I've noticed that as uh, humans, we we like to uh, associate with people of influence uh, that that have status, that have power, 
that have uh, love, have mercy. All the, there are all kinds of, of things, and, and what greater source than the, the, the Father himself? Back to Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, ties into the let it go concept. If I can let go of the internal pain, if I can let go of the unbelief, if I can let go of the depression and negativity, then I open myself up to drink in the grace of God. Then we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I receive comfort. I'm drinking in comfort from God himself. I'm now empowered. I now have the ability to bring positive change, Romans 8, 28. I have the ability to partner with God and bring life into the situation. This now is a picture of the will of God. I recognize that the pain, the general pain that's going on, is an enemy of God. It's not the will of God. I also recognize that I don't get to snap my fingers and wipe it away because God is also a just God, so he can't just go, okay, pain's just gone. No consequences to sin. It's all wiped out because when there were no consequences to sin, when people lived to be 500 years, 700 years, 900 years, sin multiplied very, very rapidly. So we live in a world where we need the consequences to sin. We need the pain, but we also need to be engaged in redemption and restoration. And that means we get to dive right in the middle of the pain and try to establish the real will of God, which is reestablishing that love and that life that he had intended in the first place. We need a good perspective. That word just keeps coming up over and over again, doesn't it? That, uh, uh, that, that how, you, how you perceive things, how you receive them, uh, uh, how you hand them off or don't hand them off, it matters, and it matters moment to moment in the present. Uh, and uh, it just, to pay attention to what you're seeing, what you're thinking, and, and to know that God wants the very best for you, and, and in, in, to the best of your abilities, turn it over to him. Perspective is a great word. Without that change in perspective, without this theology, I mean, I've, what have we done in this section? It's been all about God. It's been all about big picture, understanding. Without that, I, don't, I can't figure out how people can get better. I mean, it's, it's pretty dark. It's pretty hopeless. At some point, your only hope is to manipulate life, to control life. I've got to know that there's a God out there who loves me, who is willing to pour grace into me, grace that is powerful enough to cover my pain and not just cover my pain, but allow me to pour into other people in a way that my pain now begins to have a purpose because what I went through. I can overcome. When I overcome, I can give that experience back into other people. Now, all of a sudden, pain moves from a place of torment to a place of purpose. That's a really good start in moving from grief that is sick and just destroys me and takes me into depression 
to a place where grief actually becomes a good thing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Imagine that. A grief could be a good thing. It can be. Let's stop and have a few questions, talk a little bit about the theology, some of the kinds of things that we've been talking about this segment, and then we'll get more practical as we continue. We're talking about good grief, and I'm going to say that the problem is not the pain, the problem is torment. And the difference between pain and torment comes back to what we talked about in the first segment, which is purpose. Most people I know, if there is a purpose, if I can see a good outcome, I'm willing to endure pain. So once I wrap my brain around that and we go back to what we talked about in the last segment where pain does have a purpose, it's a part of the process of redemption. If I'm willing to suffer for you, if I'm willing to endure pain for you, and that can demonstrate my love towards you, it can demonstrate God's love towards you, now it begins to have a purpose, and then you go to 1 John 4, where he talks about perfect love casts out all fear. Suddenly, I'm able to face pain with a completely different point of view. And recognizing purpose takes time, doesn't it? I was thinking when you were describing that, that a parent will discipline a child, sometimes a spanking, not very much in the present day because that's not acceptable. But as we grew up, that was that was the board of education on the seat of understanding. (laughs) The board of education, yeah. (laughs) But the and and the the, I can remember uh, thinking this is not fair. This is not and and somewhere along the line realizing uh, it was intended for my good, not for my pain. Uh, that's a that's a, a down to earth example of God's tenderness in discipline. Uh, he's he, the tenderness comes from the, His desire that we become who He created us to be become to be in that peace to be in that that sense of presence of God all the time, and and yet our, our initial reaction is to the to the pain and, and, oh, that's not fair. Instead of picking up on the presence, we allow ourselves to go into that place of torment. And as soon as we go into torment, what happens to spiritual presence? We push away the presence of God. We stay in that place of fear. We stay in that place of torment. And it tends to compound itself, and it just goes downhill at that point. If I can maintain perspective, if I understand, hey, there's a purpose here, I can sacrifice, I can lay down my life, then I'm able to shift that focus away from the torment back to a loving God. I'm able to see the grace of God. I'm able to connect with the presence of God that he's offering, which is comfort, which is love, which is life. It's a very, as I'm describing it, it almost feels mechanical. 
but there's a mechanical piece to it where you only have one focus, period. Now, you can be double-minded and be bouncing back and forth. James talks about that. But you're still what? Bouncing back and forth. Focus is pretty much singular. You can be bouncing, but you still have a focus, and it's here, and then it's quickly here, and then it's quickly back again. That's double-minded. But when I'm focusing on God, and I'm seeing God, and I'm seeing who He is, and I'm seeing His purposes, it's the ultimate transformation of grief into a good place. That response that I was talking about with, the, with discipline, the, the first response is to turn away. Don't like this. Don't, I don't, don't want to deal with it. I'm angry at dad or whatever. Yeah, that anger, that, that that's not fair, uh, but, but you're facing the opposite direction. And, and the tendency is once you start facing the opposite, re- opposite direction, you go deeper. If, if you're in torment with something, uh, the, the least likely to happen is to turn back in, the, in a man-natural uh, response. And, and the most reasonable, as we think, is to go my own way. I, I, God's not helping me with this. I've got to solve it myself. So you go deeper in the wrong direction. You, and, and the further you go, the harder it is to turn back. What I see, what I focus on, is going to determine my future. It's an incredibly powerful principle. When pain comes along, it tends to capture our focus. It takes us into a place of negativity. All we can see is the pain. All we can feel is the pain. I don't know about you, but I'm, I go itch crazy. Once, once I have an itch that develops, I, I don't know how the people at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier or the different things like that where they're standing still and they're, they're in locked position. I'm like, I would be an absolute failure at that because once an itch shows up it's just like uh, i just and what's crazy you can have something like that going on and i'm very tactile so if i have a piece of clothing that's that's rubbing me somewhere or something you know etc i mean it's just like immediately i'm just it's like it's like almost impossible for me to change focus and i i it almost drives me mad and what's crazy, I had, that, I had a shirt that was tight and was, was kind of rubbing around the arms in a way that I didn't like. And I can remember having several minutes of, of that going on and just kind of, it was driving me nuts. I, it was like I, I couldn't handle it. And then all of a sudden, I'm on the way home from, from the event. We'd actually been to the grandkids to, to see some things. And I'm on the way home, and all of a sudden, I realized... I haven't thought about that or felt that for the last hour and a half. What happened? What happened was focus. I had that point where it was just consuming me, and I was crawling on the inside, and it's like, I'm going to have to take this shirt off. And I mean, I have all these different thoughts and feelings, but this is so completely descriptive of pain. Once it happens, it's like that itch. It's like that rub. It's, It's just it consumes us and it takes over. And the big question is simply, how do I change my focus? It's an obsession. Oh, it, it is. And, and, and that is, uh, I, I know for my 
self that I experience it, and I've got to believe that there isn't anybody that doesn't experience it. You get lost in the moment in a bad way. Uh, your, your ability to focus on anything but that one thing. And, and uh, really, uh, what God asks us to do is make him that one thing. There, uh, like most things, there's, there's good uh, sides to it and there are bad sides to it. And, and, and the good side is if we can make that obsession, uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that, that's the ideal. That's how we were created, but we've walked away from that. There's a story in the book of Numbers where the people had been ungrateful. Imagine that. They were in a negative zone, and, and God released fiery serpents. There's serpents that are going forth, and any time a serpent would bite people, they would die. And Moses is like, what do I do, God? And God had him build a bronze serpent, and he lifted it up on a pole, and he said, if the people will look at this bronze serpent, even if the serpents bite them, they will not die. It was kind of interesting because in this particular case, God didn't take it away. Most of the time, you had the crisis, and you had the mm -hmm. plagues, and you had the different things, and at some point, God just relented and took away. He didn't take it away this time. He had him do the bronze serpent, and if they focused, if they stared at that serpent, if they were bitten, nothing would happen. Then you fast forward to the New Testament, and you get John chapter 3, and Jesus said, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, if you see me when I am lifted up, what do we do? We have to look at the cross. We stare at the cross. We see Jesus on the cross. We see him, then when pain bites us, when the serpent bites us, when the negative consequences of life bite us, if we stare at the cross, if we look at him lifted up, it gives us the power to overcome that bite. And it's a, it's a picture that no matter how bad things look, and, and I can only imagine if people are know that these serpents are killing people in their, in their group, that they don't want to look at, they don't want to ever see a serpent again. But what God did was take that picture of evil and make it godlike. Look on this and you, so the, the, the thing that was causing death and, and terror and all kinds of things becomes the light that, that gives them life. Redemption. Yeah, exactly. Redeeming. God takes the very thing that could be our destruction and turns it into our salvation. Over and over again with, with people in the program, I run into two people who are living together who they just hate that other person. That other person is triggering them, and it's really awful. And many times I'm able to step back and say, do you understand what you struggle with? Yes, this person is a trigger to that struggle area, but do you understand what's going on here? I believe in the one-liner, if it don't show up, you won't grow up. If this thing does not get triggered in you, you'll go through this entire program, you'll leave here, then you'll get triggered, then you'll blow up in a way at a time where help isn't available, and you'll go right back into your addiction. Do you understand 
that this trigger point is actually a gift to you. And that's hard for people to, to wrap their brains around. But at some point, if they've understood the kinds of things that I've said, they're like, yeah, you're right. I need that. I need that trigger. I need to get to the point to where that no longer has the ability to trigger me. And, and looking back at the, 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 the uh, serpent that God used, uh, that's a gift from God. And I really believe the things that we, hung, we are hung up on as individuals the most is God's gifting on the negative end. And, and if we will endure, if we'll turn it over to God, he will take that thing that is the biggest problem in our life and turn it into the biggest, biggest blessing that you can bless others with. In a way, I feel like I'm being more simplistic than normal, but let's just come back to two simple things. Number one, faith in God. I've got to believe that God has a greater purpose. He has a greater plan. So in the middle of my pain, I've got to cultivate that. And again, that's not a 30-second thing. That's not a 30-day thing. I mean, it's, it's something that's going to have to be cultivated over a period of time, and all things work by spiritual authority. So until that faith gets built up to a higher level, I'm not going to be able to suddenly look at pain, and it's not a torment. I've got to grow to a point in my faith to where it's no longer capable of ruling me. I mean, that's the powerful point. And then the second point that we've been talking about in this segment is focus. I've got to also grow in my ability to change focus. When I'm able to shift from the fiery serpent, which is my pain, when I'm able to shift from that to Jesus, and I'm seeing him, Hebrews chapter 12, I'm seeing him dying on the cross, and I'm realizing how much farther he went than I've ever gone, than I ever could go. And I always like to stop and think about this. This is what the scripture says. Every sin for all of mankind landed on him. And I'm going to take it one step further. You've got the three hours of darkness on the cross. I believe that part of that darkness, maybe it was an eclipse, maybe it was something else, but part of that darkness was, was literally every demon in hell was descending on him with a direction of torment and, and taking over our Lord and Savior who was willingly giving himself for us. When I understand that picture and I understand the, the physical beating that he took place, the, the experience that he went through. Here he was, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and all he had to do was say one word, and he could have been rescued out of it. But if he's rescued out of it, sin is not paid for, justice is not done, and you and I are left to an eternal hell. And he looked at that and he said, it is worth it. This suffering is worth it and he walked it through. When I see that, when I'm able to see that cross, and Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, and if you can look at me, staring that down, having that focus, it's absolutely transformational. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. It's him that 
I died, which uh, there's a there's a commitment. I died, and it's Him that lives in me. And there's several places in the scriptures where it says that there is no death to self apart from pain. Pain is absolutely required. Pain is an essential part of death to self because as long as it's feeding my pleasure side, as long as it's feeding my ego side, I'm not really laying this thing down. I'm not really dying to self. I've got to get beyond that. I've got to get beyond that place to where when I'm having pain, I don't automatically have those normal responses. I look to God in faith. I'm willing to lay down my life in suffering. I'm willing to be focused on purpose and redemption and factors like that. So much of good grief is growing up in these areas and cultivating it. And if you haven't cultivated it day after day after day, when the hard things come, when the major tests come, it will absolutely break you and it'll crush you and you'll, you'll be down in a very deep, deep place. But if you've been cultivating this day after day, then the hard things don't have to crush you at the same level. They'll still be hard. They'll still need time to work through. There's still a grief process to go through, but it doesn't have to crush you in the same way. You, you won't go into tor- the torment in, uh, un- unless you're trying to do it by yourself. Uh, it's a process. If I, if I have grief and I have that, that no place to take it, then it just builds and builds. We talked about walking away. When we walk away from God, we walk away from our source of healing, of, of being relieved of torment, of, of things that we don't have the assets to deal with outside from Him. It's faith and it's focus that are the two primary tools that you'll need to be able to take that torment and smash it put it under your feet, get it in a place where you can continue to walk in a healthy way. When I get those two tools in place, grief is able to be transformed into a positive place. That's powerful. When you develop that confidence, I now have confidence in God. I have confidence in my ability to stay focused on God and drink in redemption and peace and grace. All of a sudden, torment no longer has that same power over me. Perfect love casts out all fear. The reality of of, uh, accepting Christ as Savior is that identifying with him. I died with Christ on the cross. And then if if you're baptized, there's a symbolic burial of self, and you rise as one with him. So all of those steps that, that we do take part in, participate in, are symbolic of the fact that when Christ died for us, he died for everyone, for all, and, and, and for us to walk with him and be one with him uh, we, need, we did die with him when we received that gift that he gave. And, and in baptism, we symbolically give that picture that 
we died to self and we rose with Christ. Uh, what and and I in reading scripture, I said that I have uh, the assurance that if I've accepted Christ as my Savior, He lives within me through the Holy Spirit. So that oneness gives us strength and and purpose that we never had before. Defeating torment is no simple thing. It's no easy thing. It's a process. But if you use these tools, if you develop the faith, if you build it, if you get a worldview that God is not causing the pain, God is not enjoying the pain, he doesn't really want that as a part of his purpose, part of his world, but it's, it's a necessary thing when people are headed in a wrong direction. If you develop the tool of faith, and if you develop the tool of focus, you can overcome the torment. I hope this gives you some hope. We'll see you next time on Effective Heart Change. Music